But we're back to it. Please open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. If you're a guest and don't know me, my name's Dustin Smetona. I serve as one of the pastors here, and Sovereign Grace Church is a safe place for those who are new to the Bible. If you don't have a copy of the Bible or don't have an ESV, which is the version that we use, you're welcome to grab your mobile device, punch in Acts 28 ESV. We also have print copies available in the lobby. Welcome to grab one of those at any time. Well, this is the end. The end of what, you ask? Or not the end of this church or the end of this service? Not yet. This is the end of the book of Acts. 21 months. We started Acts on March 20th, 2022. 21 months ago. 32 sermons interrupted by guest preachers and psalms and an entire study through the letter of Galatians. 21 months, 32 sermons, and now the end of Acts is here. Acts began with a crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who, before he left earth, told his disciples that they would be his witnesses to the very ends of the earth. He told them, if you remember, all the way back, 21 months ago, he told them to wait for the promised Holy Spirit, and then he departed up into the clouds. His disciples commissioned to continue what he began. And the rest of Acts was the tale of how that promise and commission from Jesus has come true. And Acts has been quite a ride. <laughs> to remind you, gospel preaching, Bible teaching, miraculous healings, prayer meetings, inexplicable prison escapes, stonings, a beheading, a married couple dropping dead on the spot for lying, magicians, thousands of conversions, riots, new churches planted, shipwrecks, snake bites, courtroom dramas. Acts has it all. But now the curtain opens on the final scene. Since chapter 21, the Apostle Paul has been making his way towards Rome. He finally arrives, and every reader of the book of Acts is poised, ready to see him appear before the leader of the most powerful kingdom in the world, which is Rome, and Paul is set to appear before Caesar. Now, up to this point, the apostle has been viciously attacked by his fellow countrymen, the Jews, though he's done nothing wrong. So he has appealed to this highest court in the land to clear his name. Will Paul finally be vindicated? Will he finally be vindicated? And as he has stated, will he finally get the opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in the heart of Western civilization to the leader of Western civilization? That's what we're waiting for at the end of the book of Acts. And inquiring minds would like to know how this thing turns out. So, let's find out. Acts chapter 28. I'm going to read beginning in verse 17. And I'll finish the chapter and the book. And then pray. So look with me now. Acts 28, verse 17. After three days, he, Paul, called together the local leaders of the Jews... And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. 
But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Verse 21. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 28, therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The very words of God, would you join me in a brief prayer for understanding? Lord, thank you. Thank you for a room full of people leaning forward eager to have a meeting with you through your words. And we pray that that's precisely what would happen. Pray, Lord, that you would meet with each of us as we consider the passage in front of us and as we engage our minds to understand and, and open our hearts to receive what, what you have determined we should receive from you this morning. Nourish our souls with the truth. Build us up in our faith. Convince those who have come today who are not yet convinced that Jesus is the answer. Use your word to accomplish these things through the power of your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Two big questions on our minds as we finish reading the book of Acts. Number one, what happens next? <laughs> and number two, what should we do now? What happens next? The author of Acts, Luke, writes that Paul was in Rome for two years. But what happened after that? Well, he doesn't say, <laughs> as I'm sure you noticed. So he's just there for two years. No mention of his visit to Caesar, 
No discussion of whether or not he was ever released from his imprisonment. No indication that he planted any more churches or did any further ministry. No mention of the manner in which he died, whether he was even a faithful Christian to the end of his life. Luke says nothing about any of those things. Just stops there, leaving us wondering what happened to Paul. As, as an author, he breaks pretty much every modern literary rule for writing a good ending. You're supposed to give the reader a sense of closure. <laughs> Tie up any loose ends. Re reward the reader for, for making it this far by explaining what happens to the main character. It doesn't appear Luke does any of those things. Doesn't tell us what happens next. Brings no closure. <laughs> To the story leaves the end wide open. Why doesn't Luke tell us what happened to Paul? The answer is actually simple. The book of Acts isn't about Paul, right? The book of Acts isn't about Paul. He's not the main character. The book of Acts is about Jesus Christ. The book of Acts is about his gospel spreading throughout the whole world. The book of Acts is about the Holy Spirit sent from heaven by the Father and the Son to empower the church to do what the risen and exalted Jesus instructed them to do. The open ending of the book of Acts is Luke's way of saying to you and I and everybody who reads it that Jesus isn't finished. And what Paul is doing here is a snapshot, a Polaroid picture of what churches and Christians are supposed to do until Jesus returns. Even better, an even better way to say it. The end of Acts is a snapshot of what Jesus is doing through his people until he returns. The age of Acts doesn't end until Jesus comes back. That's the next major event in redemptive and world history. Jesus said it himself in Matthew 24, 14. Here's what, here's what Jesus said. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. <laughs> that will be the end of the age of Acts. So that's what happens next. What happens next? The church shares the gospel until Jesus comes back. So what should we do now? Well, back in the era of the Great Depression, one theologian, J. Gresham Mason, who is wrestling with that question, what should the church be doing now? Here's how he answered that question. The responsibility of the church in the new age is the same as its responsibility in every age. It is to testify that this world is lost in sin. That the span of human life is an infinitesimal island in the awful depths of eternity. That there is a mysterious, holy, living God, creator of all, upholder of all, infinitely beyond all, that has revealed himself to us in his word and offered us communion with himself through Jesus Christ the Lord. That there is no other salvation for individuals or for nations, save this, but that this salvation is full and free, and that whoever possesses it has for himself 
and for all others to whom he may be the instrument of bringing it, a treasure compared with which all the kingdoms of the earth are as but the dust of the street. Machen wrote, an unpopular message it is, an impractical message as we are told, but it is the message of the Christian church. Neglect it, he writes, and you will have destruction. Heed it, and you will have life. Luke would agree. His ending is an invitation to each reader to embrace Jesus first as your Savior, and then to make his mission your mission. You looking for something to give your life to this morning, something that matters, something that will endure not just for a while but forever, this is it. Spread the joy of Jesus until he returns. Spread the joy of Jesus until he returns. That's our mission as a congregation. That's how we say it. We exist to spread the joy of Jesus in Old Town Orange and beyond. All that we do here is aimed at spreading the joy of Jesus, persuading and preparing people so that when Jesus does return, we're all ready to receive him gladly. Why do we hold Sunday services? Why are we hosting a candlelight Christmas Eve service next Sunday? Why do we meet in small groups throughout the city and do outreaches at places like House of Hope? Why do we exist as a local church to spread the joy of Jesus until he returns? To bring others to Jesus, make them glad in Jesus, and help them mature in Jesus. That's what we're here for. That's what every local church is here for. As one author put it, we're to win people to Christ and build people up in Christ. And this open ending of Acts is Luke asking you and I a question. Is Jesus' mission, that mission, your mission? Luke wants it to be, we want it to be, God wants it to be your mission. A mission worth giving your life to. So, why? Why should you give yourself to this mission? Let me give you just two reasons from this passage. These are our outline. If you're taking notes, I'll give these to you as we go. Why should you make Jesus' mission your mission? Here you go. Because, point number one, Jesus is spreading his joy in your neighborhood. (laughs) Jesus is spreading his joy in your neighborhood. The Apostle Paul is on house arrest in Rome. But even though he's bound physically, he's not really bound Not really bound at all. Listen to what he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, probably during this period, actually. He wrote, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. That's what's happening here. Paul is bound, but the word of God is not bound. The gospel isn't. He has enough freedom to call local Jewish leaders to his rented house. Verse 17. And after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. He had a few days to get settled into his, his long-term Airbnb, right? Just a few days. Doesn't waste any time. Gets to work reasoning for the gospel. And in the following verses, he makes his case for why they should listen to him. He retells the story of the last few chapters of Acts. A malicious group of Israelites have been falsely charging him with wrongdoing, even though he's done nothing wrong, and he's been forced to appeal to Caesar to clear his good name. And one of the most interesting things about his, uh, his, his recollection of what happened here uh, comes up in verse 20. Look at, look at verse 20 with me. 
For this reason, he says, after he gives the details of, of the last few chapters of Acts, for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since, right here, it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. One of the arguments for faith in Jesus throughout the book of Acts, it's used by the Apostle Peter, it's used by Stephen the martyr before he's stoned, and it's used by Paul over and over again, is that the death, resurrection, and now reign of Jesus Christ is the very thing that the Jews have been waiting for. Jesus is the hope of Israel. He's their hope of new life and liberty and peace. That's one of the main themes of Acts that we've seen throughout it. It's captured right in those three words, the hope of Israel. And Paul's only crime, what he's being persecuted for, is pointing his fellow countrymen, arguing from the scriptures that Jesus is the one they've been waiting for. And it's an absolute tragedy that they just can't see it. If you ever read Romans chapter 9, Paul talks about how heartbroken he is that the Jews just cannot understand that Jesus is the one they've been waiting for and how if he could be cut off so they could be brought in, he would. This is a tragedy. So he begins by arguing for an audience with them. But strangely, I don't know if you know this, noticed this when we were reading, strangely, it turns out he didn't really need to argue for an audience. That's another fascinating turn on this tale. If you remember from chapter 27, Paul's prison ship took off during the winter, and it was dangerous to travel. They end up shipwrecked on an island, but then they get passage to Rome. The funny thing about that whole sequence of events is that they ended up in Rome faster than anybody else possibly could. The shipwreck was the fastest way to get to Rome. That's how you'd like to get there. I don't, don't think that's how you'd like to get there, but it was expedient. Their treacherous journey was an... It was an impossibly fast way to get to Rome. So what that meant for Paul, he's assuming that word has already arrived in Rome about what a bad guy he is, and, and he's assuming that's happened, but, and so he's making his case for himself, but they haven't even heard about him yet. They don't, they're, they, verse 21, and they said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. They don't know how unpopular Paul is yet. This was a surprising act of God's providence. Through the troubles that Paul had experienced in the storm and the shipwreck, God was sparing him from other troubles and preparing him for ministry. <laughs> and that's often how God does it, doesn't he? We experience some troubles, no doubt, but at the very same time, he's sparing us from other troubles and preparing us for certain things. That's just how he is arranging our lives. The Jews in Rome are happy to listen to him. They say it, second, uh, second half of verse 21. Uh, excuse me, verse 22. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, with Christianity, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Okay, so they've got questions about Christianity, but no questions about Paul. They want to know what Christianity is all about, and this has got to be a, every preacher's dream. I mean, come on. A group of people like begging you, basically, to explain to them what you believe and why. And you've got to, again, imagine this for Paul. He has not encountered much of this from his own people. 
He's had more interested listeners among the Gentiles, like the Greeks in Athens back in Acts 17. But to have fellow Israelites, his countrymen, asking him to explain the truths of Christianity to them, this had to be a thrilling moment for the Apostle Paul. So he, he does what he does. Opens his Bible, begins to teach them, aiming to persuade them. Yeah, the language in there is so, oh, yeah. He appointed a day from morning till evening. He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, and trying to convince them about Jesus. That, that's a great definition of evangelism, trying to convince, teaching people about Jesus, aiming to persuade them to repent of their sins and follow him. That's what he's doing. And what's the outcome? Verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Some were convinced, others disbelieved, and that's just how it is, isn't it? <laughs> some got it, others didn't. For some, the light bulb turned on, others remained in darkness. But here's what, here's what we need to see. Paul, again, is bound in chains, but the word of God isn't. Jesus is spreading his joy through Paul into the lives of these people that are coming to listen to him, even though he's on house arrest. Jesus is saving people in Paul's neighborhood, and that's Jesus' program for every neighborhood. It's what he's already doing in our neighborhood, right? Now, of course, we desire, as we've prayed already this morning, we desire and pray for him to do so even more. Oh, that, that old town orange would find its hope and its joy and its life in Jesus. Every other god is a worthless idol, but Jesus lives. He's not a good idea or a good teacher. He's a living Lord. He's a rescuer from sin and death. He's a shepherd. He's a faithful friend. He is God himself come as one of us to save us from the consequences our sins deserve. As we've been rehearsing this morning and this Christmas season and every Sunday that we show up here at the Women's Club. Jesus is saving people. That's why churches like ours exist. And as he rules from heaven, that's what he's doing right now. Jesus is ruling from heaven. He is orchestrating the salvation of even more people in your neighborhood. It doesn't matter how bound you feel, how under-resourced you believe you are, how ineffective you appear to be. Jesus is spreading his joy right here. You can count on that. And you're part of it. I mean, his joy has dawned in your hearts. I, I, I could hear it as you sang, with or without lyrics. You, his joy has dawned in your hearts, and he has set your heart alight so that you can carry the light of his gospel to awaken joy in even more people in your neighborhood. Jesus', Jesus mission is radically local. It is a radically local mission. It's meant to be carried out right here. The servers in your restaurants, the cashiers in your stores, the government employees at City Hall, the students at Chapman and, and Orange High School. Jesus is spreading his joy to them. And you're part of it. There's more joy for you yet to be had in Jesus and there's more joy for them yet to be had. More joy than any of us can possibly imagine. And so go for it. Go for it. Christ will be with you. Uh, he will be with you. Whether what you do like with the Apostle Paul, whether it's a smashing success or a disappointing failure.
Jesus is spreading his, his joy in your neighborhood through every effort empowered by the Spirit that you and I make. And point number two, Jesus is spreading his joy across the globe. Spreading his joy across the globe. Beginning in verse 25 of our passage, we can see why perhaps some people didn't really like what Paul had to say. Verse 25. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement in particular. Here's what Paul said. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, and he quotes Isaiah, go to this people and say, you'll hear but never understand, you'll see but not really perceive, your hearts have grown dull, you can't hear anything, your eyes are closed, and and it's, it's all because so that if you would see with your eyes and hear with your ears and understand with your heart, you'd turn and I would heal you, but you're so hard hearted towards me that I'm hardening you even further. That was what God was saying to his people back in the time of Isaiah. And God had said this to their forefathers. This, it shouldn't have surprised, it really shouldn't have offended them that Paul's just quoting to them their own scriptures back to them. This is something God had said to his people at one time, and it's totally reasonable that he would say it again at another point in time. God confronts his people about their stubbornness and rebellion. This wasn't novel or unique. Shouldn't have surprised them. But I don't think Paul quoting Isaiah is what they're upset about. Look at the next verse, verse 28. Therefore, here Paul goes off the rails. Now he's not quoting Isaiah anymore. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. We have encountered this again throughout the book of Acts. So, so, so it's really not fair to say that Luke's not tying up all the loose ends. So he, he's, he's bringing everything together here. Many of the first century Jews have, have expressed racist attitudes and, and feelings of superiority towards Gentiles. And so to them, the idea that God would turn away from the Jews and turn toward the Gentiles was just simply repugnant. Simply repugnant. Even though, I, I mean, even though God declared himself to be a light to the Gentiles, you can go read that, Isaiah 49, God said he'd be a light to the Gentiles, but, but these particular Jews had misread, misunderstood, misinterpreted their Bibles. God's aim has always been global. He has always had a global aim. And the rejection of the Messiah by the Jews was part of the way that God would get his gospel to the rest of the world. Paul perceives this. Paul understands this. That's why he can say this with such confidence. You won't listen. So God is going to people who will listen. He's going to the Gentiles. And again, listen to his confidence. You could underline this. They will listen. And and if you need proof that that's true, just look around the room. We are the Gentiles who listened. (laughs) Who believed. Who turned. Look, from his throne in heaven. Again, all of Acts has to be read with the vision of Jesus seated in heaven. 
from his throne in heaven, Jesus is sending glad tidings of great joy to every dark corner of this planet. From the biggest, most populous, and prosperous modern cities to the most remote tribe in the densest jungle, there's nowhere on earth that Jesus won't send his gospel. He he will ensure that everybody knows that he died on the cross in the place of sinners to bring them back to God and then rose from the grave to give them eternal life with him. That's the good news that must be believed and treasured and shared. And Jesus' mission is to spread the joy of that news to everybody everywhere. His mission is local, right? Like we said earlier, his mission is local. It's wherever his people are, but his mission is global. He, He intends to have people everywhere around the globe. And what that means for you and I is that some of us will not stay local. It means he will send some of us to new locales, perhaps new cities in California or our country, but perhaps even farther abroad. Some of you may have stirrings in your heart or will at some point to make disciples in far-off lands with people who have little or no access to the gospel. I hope and pray that some of you do. Missionary work like that will result in new local congregations, just like we saw in the book of Acts. Wherever the gospel went, churches popped up. That's what missionary work creates, new congregations. People saved and gathered together. Oh, we do. We hope and pray that God will send some of you out to do that work. Lord willing, some of us, some of us here in this room will go. But many of us will stay and pray and send and support and give. Christ has a part for all of us to play in getting that gospel, the gospel of good news, great joy across the globe, whether we stay or go. It's fitting to end our final sermon in Acts with the final verses in Acts. Look, look with me at the last two verses once again, verse 30 and 31. He, Paul, lived in Rome two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. That's such a rich phrase. <laughs> Though we would welcome all who come to us. He welcomed all who came to him. And what did he do? Verse 31. This is your snapshot of what we're all to do. He welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul did what all Christians do. He accepted the limitations that God had placed on him, right? He was chained to a Roman soldier on house arrest. He accepted the limitations that God had put on him. He understood that God had arranged it for him. And so there, with those limitations in place, he announces to all who will come to him that God's kingdom has come in Jesus. And he keeps aiming to persuade anyone that they can get into Christ's kingdom by trusting and following this crucified and risen Lord. Paul gave his life to that work. And we're invited. 
We're encouraged. We're commissioned by the Lord to do the same. Boldly, faithfully, clearly, persuasively teaching others about Jesus and inviting them to leave their sins and idols behind and follow him. You don't have to be a street corner evangelist, okay? There's so many ways to do this. If your parents, your children, if you're a child, your parents, <laughs> your siblings, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, there are so many sin-saddened people around us. So many sin-saddened people around us. In desperate need of the joy of Jesus. Just like we once were. Sin is making them miserable. But Jesus has come to make them glad in him. So there's plenty of opportunities for us to do what we see Paul doing right at the end of Acts. My friends, the book of Acts is done. But the acts of the risen Lord Jesus are not yet done. Not as long as he's still in heaven. Not as long as there are still people on the path to hell in need of rescue. The acts of the risen Lord Jesus are continuing through you. Led and empowered by his spirit, his works continue until he returns to bring it all to its glorious conclusion. Well, as we heard at the beginning of the service, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, we make it our aim to prepare people for that day to receive him gladly. So what should we do now? As we close the book of Acts, I have a strong sense actually that God wants to say to you, keep doing what you're already doing. You are spreading the joy of Jesus. Nothing I've preached to you this morning is novel or new to you. And I love that. You're spreading the joy of Jesus in hundreds of different ways. We can all see it. So keep being, as we say, joyful, generous, ordinary neighbors. God is pleased with you. I don't want to leave Acts feeling guilty. <laughs> or like we're not doing enough. God is pleased with you in the efforts that you're making to serve him and share the gospel. He's pleased with you as you continue the day in, day out, oftentimes mundane, sometimes faltering work of being faithful Christians and sharing Christ. And so I want you to leave Acts doubling down on being Christ-centered, gospel-centered, joy-spreading Christians. There's one more thing, though, that we should do as we end Acts. We'll take our cue from a beloved Christmas movie character, Buddy the Elf, <laughs> who memorably said, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. <laughs> the best way to spread gospel cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Let's pray, then sing loudly, and then we'll meet you at the Lord's table. Pray with me. Lord, there is more joy in Jesus Christ than we can even imagine. The tastes 
that we have had are simply foretastes of even greater joy in the one who has come to make us glad. Lord, we repent again uh, of the, the many ways in which we seek joy in things that are not Jesus. And ask again that you would win us back to him, win our hearts back, that we may remember that, that this Lord is the Lord of joy and gladness and celebration. And that's where this is all going. His kingdom will be a kingdom of rejoicing. And so win us, first and foremost, win our hearts back to seeking joy in Jesus, first and foremost, and above all. And Lord, help us again to be about Jesus' business, spreading his good news of great joy to all who will listen, aiming to persuade, loving, praying, listening, sharing with all those, Lord, who you have put in our lives. Help us to be faithful, to share this wonderful news that there is joy in Jesus for those who repent of their sins and embrace him. Make us glad in him again, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.